0: Raptors two one series lead over the Golden State Warriors game four tonight. You can watch it on TSN one three four and five. Commercial free halftime on TSN ten fifty and the post game show. Matt Cos will join me for both extensive coverage. And then there's Monday, which we don't want to dive into the possibilities. But uh, I'll leave it up to you. You know what's going on, and so there are possibilities. Jack Armstrong will be with us very shortly bruce arthur uh blake murphy uh, you know i just I, i've said this before i, I love uh, a developing story an evolving story for the teams that i cover i don't i don't really get too bent out of shape about teams that are good wire to wire i just I, I think there's something to be said for something that gets better by the game by the round by the game in the final series and i think that would describe the raptors jack armstrong is here jack how are you this morning Jim, good morning. How are you? Good, good. Uh, the uh, this the, the situation with with Clay Thompson. Uh, you know, you've been around this game, and, and you know, I, I always assume that people if they're playing are, are good to go, and, and there's no reason to doubt that. But what what would we be looking for in his play tonight that might tell us differently?
1: Well, if you're a Raptor fan, differently would be that you know he doesn't have great lateral quickness, and that you can attack him a little bit defensively because he's a terrific defender. And as we know, he did a really good job in parts of Game 2 on, on Kawhi Leonard. So that would be the first thing. And then secondly, just his ability to run and cut and, and move. He's such a really good player um, off the ball of, of just cutting and using screens and back cutting and getting dunks and uh, just uh, just a flurry of activity and energy. So you know, how does he look when he has to go back and forth up and down the court? How does he look when he has to make those cuts? Is he as explosive? Can you get to him? Or is he still getting those quick catch and shoot opportunities where he's able to release the ball? So to me, it's just going to be a matter of, uh, um, he could be out there. Uh, the question is now, uh, how truly effective will he be? And I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll be close to effective, maybe even just as effective as we saw in Game 2. They wouldn't play him if he wasn't going to be that.
0: Uh, There's a bit of a narrative that floats around that that sort of suggests that the Raptors uh, had to win Game 3 because of who wasn't in the lineup and and because there are some uh, voids again for the Warriors and we don't know what Clay Thompson is up to, that, that this is another opportunity that way. Does that even creep in at all to your sort of analysis?
1: Oh, I think it's important. Uh, you know, I use the line all the time, you know, opportunities multiply as they're seized, they die as they're neglected, you know. So you got to seize the moment. Um, it's an opportunity to win. It's an opportunity to go home now. Uh, even, you know, you mentioned game three. I mean, now tonight is an opportunity to take a stranglehold on the series, you know, and The 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 reality is we don't know if Golden State's actually being truthful with regard to Kevin Durant or not. You know now they're saying well he could be ready to go for game five or six. Um, He might you know that theoretically could be the case. I don't know. You don't know. Um, You know so some of it could be them playing possum. On the other hand, they could actually be be truthful about it. Um, But when you know that. You know, you say, hey, man, you know, we got to take advantage of this while this guy's out of the lineup. And, he, again, he might come back. He might not come back. But uh, I, I think the Raptors know that. They know that. Um, and I think they'll be ready to go tonight.
0: I've mentioned before and shortly before you joined us this morning that I, I like a developing story. And the Raptors certainly are a developing story. They just come up with things. They, they seem to evolve by the game, and certainly the the one thing that you would say about this team, there's many things you would say, but uh, in complimentary terms, you would say the resiliency is, is stunning. The the rebound factor, not not in-game, but, but rebounding from from uh, poor performances or, or tweaking something to find the solution, it's remarkable, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it is, Jim. I mean, they were down 0-1 to Orlando, down 2-1 to uh, Philly, uh, down 0-2 to uh, Milwaukee, and they bounced back at one each series. Right now, they're in a better position than they have been in the other three rounds. Uh, I do think playing Orlando and Philadelphia and Milwaukee, all good teams, all tough, well coached teams, uh, prepared them for this. Uh, I think when you play good competition, and it brings out the best in you and it also prepares you and you don't take anything for granted. Uh, you know, that's why as a co- former college coach, that's why a lot of college coaches try to play a really tough non-conference schedule before they get into their conference schedule, because they want to they wanna build that uh, toughness and that resiliency up. You want to test yourself against the big boys and see what you got. And then you learn a lot about yourself, a lot of what you like, a lot of what you don't like, and then you're able to make adjustments accordingly.
2: Uh, this
0: team, in my opinion, has been able to beat its opposition at its own game. And I, I, that's how I sort of classified uh, the, the Game 3 win was they beat the Warriors at their own game. Would you agree?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, they, uh, the Raptors, to me, were uh, really efficient offensively. And when you watch Golden State, that's the joy and the beauty of watching them. They do a really nice job of sharing the ball, swinging the ball cutting, movement, spacing, uh, shot making, uh, all those things, Uh, running the ball, uh, entertaining style of play. Uh, Yeah, and they've done, the Raptors did it in game one as well, you know, and and then obviously in game three. Game two, uh, they weren't as picturesque to watch. You know, they they were sloppy with the ball. Uh, They had opportunities, good opportunities, and they couldn't make the shots, but to me, Um, they, you know, they were, they were a step out of beat, step out of rhythm, uh, a a note out of beat. And, um, to me, I I think that's going to be critical. I think here's the thing, Jim. I I think the Raptors, after playing Golden State now five times, I mean, twice in the regular season when they beat them both times, you know, they've beaten them four out of five times. They know the formula that they have to execute to win. And they know if they execute that formula, they're going to have a great chance with two or three minutes left in the game to win. And to me, that's what it's about. Really. I mean, in a nutshell, that that's the thing that jumps out at me is, you know, do, do, you, know, do you really, really have an a understanding of how to beat a team? And I think they know exactly what it's going to take to beat this team. Now, again, can you do it? That's the other question, but – the reality is I think they know that if they do X, Y, and Z, uh, they're going to have a chance to win.
0: I mean, that really fuels most of the optimism, is understanding that the Raptors have the ability to win this. The question is, as you say, will it happen, right?
1: Yeah, and and, and I don't know, and you don't know. No one knows. Uh, but they know what it's going to take. Um, and it's not some like, hey, well, if we do this, we're going we're gonna to definitely win. No, I mean, it gives you the chance to win. You know, uh, but, you know, there are times you'll play a team uh, and you say, if we do this, this and this, we're going to win. And the reality is you can't do it because the team is just still too good for you to beat. Uh, I don't think that's the case here. I think, uh, you know, I mean, the the previous time the Raptors were in Golden State during the regular season, they had Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, all their stars. And the Raptors didn't have Kawhi Leonard, and they came in here and blew the doors off of the Warriors. So to me, I think that's something that gives you confidence. And, uh, so all this discussion about Clay is he in, is he out? KD, is he in, is he out? Well, geez, you've already beaten them with those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's some people that like to uh, put a little mark beside the Raptors' success and say, well, some Warriors aren't there. But the Warriors won when some of their opposition wasn't there either. So, I mean, that's just part of the game. There's nothing you can do about that.
1: You're right. And, uh, yeah, ask the Cavs. If you're in Cleveland right now, they'll remember the Kyrie and, uh, you know, Kevin Love uh, weren't able to play. And, uh, you know, they, they were able to, uh, Golden State was able to pounce on that and take advantage of it. Uh, they uh, the last time I checked, they haven't taken the banner down here, and they haven't given the rings back, you know? Uh, they're the, and, and to their credit, they're the rightful champion. Um, you know, everybody has issues and challenges they have to fight through. Uh, it, and to me, I think for the Raptors, um, you're staring at an opportunity right now, and the question is, are you going to continue to execute your game plan and do the things that you know you're capable of doing? And that's the intriguing fun part of it. I, I, and again, none of us know the answer to it. We just know that when you, when you're watching it and you're seeing it, it's, it play itself out, you're like, yep, yeah, that's the formula right there. So the most important thing is finding that formula, finding that ability to say, okay, we're, we're where we need to be. And I think tonight is going to be a, an incredible test. Uh, And, you know, they've won 14 games in postseason. You know, they've won 72 games overall this year. And as we know, game 73 and game 74 in terms of winning are going to be the toughest two games you have to win.
0: Yeah, you're right, and a lot of anticipation. I think there is a confidence in, in Raptors fans that, that it can happen, and just waiting to see if, if, in fact, it does, and we've been all over that. One one of the other storylines that, that really uh, makes this team fun to cover is the asset management, the way it was built. Uh, obviously, they, they built through the draft, and then at some point, they decided to move some people out and bring in really specific pieces. And when you watch in, in the key moments what Kawhi does, what Gasol does, uh, uh, what Green does, and what Abaka does... Is- and sort of a recast. I mean, it is phenomenal, isn't it?
1: Yeah, Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, you know, their entire front office, they've done a really good job. Uh, they just, you know, I mean, there's not a, a elite lottery pick on this team, yet uh, they have a lot of guys who've developed into outstanding pros. Um, some have developed within your system. So, I mean, Joanne Casey and his staff were, were awesome. They did a phenomenal job laying a foundation. And then Nick Nurse and his staff have done a, a, a wonderful job uh, developing guys, bringing guys to, to, to great heights. Um, you know, so it's been, a, and, and, you know, and the G League people, um, you know, there's been a lot of different people. And it's been a jo- joy to watch it all play itself out. Uh, and it's, you know, it hasn't been without drama and, Challenges and and failure, and but those are the things that are all part of it, and that's how you get better, and that's how you learn. But it's a it's a it's a well run organization, and I've always said that the Toronto Raptors are a sleeping giant. You know, it's a huge market. You know, third largest in uh, North American sports. Um, You know, incredibly passionate fan base. Uh, Really. Good situation in terms of an arena, facilities, practice facilities, uh, committed ownership, um, you know, just a, a lot of wealth in the city, uh, you know, a lot of uh, incredible support. Every game's on national TV. Uh, again, it's a sleeping giant and at some point this thing was going to take off. And here we are now in the sixth year of winning. And, uh, you know, and then this is the culmination of it now, being in the finals. And to me, it's just that's just the fun part of of watching the whole journey uh, and being and being along for the ride for it.
0: Yeah. And and the player development is not done everywhere. And and probably Pascal Siakam is the best example of that, isn't he?
1: It is, Jim. Uh, Yeah, he's. He's a big, uh, he's, a, he's just an amazing story. And, and, you know, people are so locked in on Kyle Lowry that night, how well he played. He was great. And Danny Green is, but see, Akam had a great game one and a challenging game two and yet came in in game three and just had a really sound, mature, uh, performance where you looked out there and you said, man, that guy's a ball player. He's good. And he just keeps improving. He keeps getting better. Keeps learning from the different tests that are put in front of him. Um, and he does it for you on both ends. He guards. Uh, he changes shots. He gets deflections. He'll rebound. He runs. He catches. He finishes. He's effective, you know, creating off the bounce. He's effective making plays for others. Um you know, and he's, he's crafty in the post and, uh, you know, I, I just, he's just really coming into his own. And, um, that's the fun part of it is just to see that. And a guy like that in a lot of, a lot of organizations, uh, would slam out because, you know, a lot of guys break in on bad teams and there's no leadership. The coaching isn't great. Uh, there's bad habits. There's an acceptance of, of, uh, not doing the things, you know, people just don't do it the right way. And guys like that with a world of talent never develop. And I think if you look at the Raptors and a, a Siakam and a Van Vliet and a Norm Powell and, you know, guys like that. And when Delon Wright was here and, you know, OG Ananobi and guys like that, it just, they develop, uh, and they've gotten better. And a, a big thing again has been, just the philosophy that Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster have, have and what the coaching staffs, you know, Dwayne and Nick have done, uh, to to make sure that's all carried out. Jack,
0: long day for you. Thanks for cutting us in. Appreciate it.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Jim. And uh, uh, have a great day. And we'll we'll chat down the line.
0: Yes, we will. Thank you, Jack Armstrong, TSN Raptors and NBA analyst, and the Twitter account at hello jack with three O's after H E double hockey stick. I had to do it that way. Coming up next, Bruce Arthur will join us from the Toronto Star. This is Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. Also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. On scene is Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star. Bruce, welcome, and how are you today, sir?
3: Jim, I believe this is day 59 in a row, but (laughs) I feel great. It's going to be a really interesting game, as all the games have been, and it is a beautiful day in San Francisco. Uh,
0: This assignment, so day 59 in a row. I mean, what what does this compare to in your file of uh, past assignments?
3: Oh, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever worked 59 days in a row before. I used to do the whole Eastern Conference playoffs and then the Stanley Cup final, and that could take a little over two months, but you'd get time home in between to just put up your feet for a few days if you got a sweep. So this is probably the longest I've gone, but it's also, it's a lot more fun than covering a Washington Capitals Tampa Bay Lightning series. It's a lot more fun than, than kind of just 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 following teams around that aren't connected to the community in which you live. So at this point, it's like doing two Olympics back-to-back, maybe, or maybe more than that. But even so, uh, I can't complain about this. This has been one of the better runs that you can really go on.
0: Yeah, especially with, with the Raptors in. And, and it's kind of a, an uneven comparison because the Raptors are in and the Leafs haven't been there for a long time, as we're painfully aware. But how would you compare the NBA final to the Stanley Cup final? Can you do that?
3: It's hard because because it's my town that's in it. But yep. in terms of just the overall atmosphere, um, part of it is the way Toronto has reacted to this final, I would say the only thing I've seen like that in a Stanley Cup finals, maybe Nashville. When we were in Nashville for the Stanley Cup final, the town was nuts. And game nights especially, you felt it. And that's kind of what you've seen in Toronto is you really feel it. Um, in terms of the bigger picture... Um The NBA Finals spread out a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more to kind of explore, but there's there's a real energy around this final that just from afar, I'm not sure that the Bruins and the Blues have kind of captured. But again, that's partly because Toronto being in here for the first time against the dynasty, it's it, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of a lot of things happening, and then you add a part owner of the Golden State Warriors putting his hands on a player during a game and the level of crazy goes up in notch or two.
0: Yeah, to that end, we had uh, Matt Steinmetz on. He's uh, one of the hosts on 95.7 The Game flagship station of the Warriors, and he was sort of uh, thinking about how Kyle Lowry would be received at the start of the game tonight, and I thought, okay, so he went down the road of a, should be a nice round of applause, and I thought that would be nice. I think another thing that would be nice would be that Mark Stevens' seat is unoccupied and stays unoccupied <laughs> until his, his suspension is over. Does that work?
3: Yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting. They announced the, the suspension, and they, they I think they did this on purpose. I don't think these things happen by accident. We talked to the players yesterday, and some of the players were really strong about Mark Stevens and about what he did. Kyle Lowry said there's no place for that in this league. LeBron James, who, one, probably didn't mind kind of throwing something at the Golden State Warriors, but, two, is a principled guy. Um, and who is was a human starting gun for discussion in the NBA. If LeBron says something, it will go to ESPN and get into the bloodstream real fast. He said the same thing that there's no place for this in the NBA. And the NBA waited until after the players had finished talking to announce that they had banned Mark Stevens for a year and fined him $500,000. Now there was the one report that NBC said that people connected to the Warriors expect that Stevens would likely be have to sell his shares. Well, we'll see. It's about $250 million. Someone told me yesterday, um, Now there's not going to be a lot of talk of Mark Stevens because we're going to get a game, and the game is going to overwhelm that. But as time goes on, it's going to be interesting to see if the players think that that's enough. Because, like, let's say in a year nothing else is done and Mark Stevens comes back and sits courtside in an NBA game. And I don't think he'll ever do that again. I don't think he'll ever put himself in that position again. But I'm not sure that players would accept a guy who, again, is a part owner of an NBA team who has put his hands on an NBA player, I'm not sure they're going to accept that being still a part of the game.
0: Yeah, I, I tot- I'm i totally with you on that. I mean, you know, touching an athlete, shoving... I mean, this is a world that, wouldn't, that shouldn't tolerate shoving anybody for any reason. Uh, when you're part of an ownership group and, and it, it's an in-game play, I, I couldn't think of a more egregious situation. I mean, it's just all wrong.
3: Well, and, and not only that, if you look at the bigger picture, one of the the top of mind ideas uh, when it comes to the NBA is the next collective bargaining agreement, uh, because this is a league. There's a mutual uh, opt out, I think, after 2023. So we're still a ways away. Um, they can go one more, and it's a, the end date. The maximum date is 2024, but the league is very cognizant that they don't want to screw this up. They don't want anything that could make the players really mad. Um, as it is, and, and, and then people will kill me for this. The players are are massively underpaid. Like the, the stars in this league are still massively underpaid, even when they're making 33 or 35 or 40 million a year, even the supermax contract. Because you think about the estimates are that the Toronto Raptors, for example, are making I don't know what it is. Let's say about 20 million per home date in the playoffs. Wow. They're going to make, if this series goes seven, I mean, you're looking at between four and five hundred million dollars in extra revenue. And that's because Kawhi Leonard exists, right? And Kawhi Leonard this year is not going to make anything commensurate to what he's actually generating for the team. But in terms of the CBA, the owners want to make sure this keeps rolling because they're making tons of ESPN money. And there aren't that many fault lines with the players that can really rupture open. The idea of ownership not not respecting players and the idea of ownership in this political climate in the United States, and some players alluded to this um, being openly contemptuous of players, and then you get into a racial dynamic there, and some players mentioned that. Um, that's something that I think the NBA finds very dangerous, and Mark Stevens all of a sudden is symbolic of that, even if that if that was in no way his intent.
0: Well, that's the world we live in, right? It's it's not only what you do, it's how you play, how it plays out and how it's perceived. And, you know, when you're offending people, your intentions are are worth next to nothing. So Mm -hmm. I'm totally with you. And and I like what you you did there with the money situation because a lot of times, uh, it's certainly pointed on, on the athlete for making whatever the individual makes is considered to be too much. But the original premise is, uh, if the athlete's getting 30 million, the team's getting 31. The team always makes more money than the athlete gets.
3: And, and clearly, like, uh, the amount of money that's, in, that's kind of washing on the NBA right now is is kind of a vision of the future of sports as they get more important. It's a lot closer to the Premier League uh, in Europe, than, or in England, rather, than it is to the stuff we've seen here. Uh, but their importance, uh, like, players' importance, like, Toronto truly, I think, now has an understanding of okay. how important a superstar is. That's kind of been the lesson of Kawhi Leonard. What does a superstar mean for your franchise? And what we've seen is it's they can destroy the world and they can create the world. And that's kind of where Kawhi Leonard is. is Without him, this run is a nice little run that concludes in the second round of the playoffs. And with him, these guys are two wins from a championship. And he still hasn't played his best game. It's really been a remarkable thing. And in terms of the high-end money, these guys make a lot of money and, and good for them. And I'm not comparing their worth to school teachers or doctors or nurses or the people who make society work, but in terms of how this whole thing works, this capitalist thing where people get paid what they earn and what they generate, a superstar is worth... If if he was on the open market, Kawhi Leonard would get paid $100 million or more, and so would LeBron James and all these guys. And that's the thing that the players have kind of given up. And again, when we get back to it, I don't think Mark Stevens is going to derail the NBA CBA, but they, the the league will do anything to keep that CBA from getting derailed from any direction possible.
0: Well, he becomes a headline on a story that that could go deep. Uh, let's move on to the game. I mean, you know, we always uh, we're talking talking a lot about the, the the wounded warriors, but when you see uh, Kawhi Leonard limp up to the podium after the last game, a little concern there, but somehow he finds a way to play through it.
3: Well, and you got to beat the people in front of you, right? Like Kyle Lowry's left thumb is beyond repair. It's going to need surgery in the off offseason. Um, but he's playing through it. He's just located it, and a couple of times it hasn't been right. With Kawhi, you're right, he's not at 100%. You can see when he gets into traffic, he has trouble kind of finishing over people. You can watch him running in transition. You can see that he's not 100% there, and he still is gathering himself for what he can do with whatever that injury is. And hasn't had his best series and is averaging 29 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal, a block. Uh, he's a, just an unbelievable player. But, I mean, it is true. The Warriors, the Warriors are missing an MVP-level guy, like in Kevin Durant. But that is the risk. It's really the only risk. When you have two MVP-caliber players and a defensive player of the year and a, a shooting guard who owns the record for points scored in a quarter... Golden State went all in on superstars, and that means that your depth gets compromised. And when Kevin Durant gets hurt, there's no... Alfonso McKinney isn't going to do it, right? And so this this Raptors team, if they beat the Warriors, um, I don't want to hear any talk of asterisk yeah. or anything like that, because the Detroit Pistons won their second Bad Boys title when Magic Johnson and Byron's Cup blew their hamstrings. And this Warriors team won their first title when Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were hurt for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And by the way, the team they beat in the conference final was missing either its second or third best player in Yusuf Nurkic. You gotta beat who's in front of you and you gotta have the depth to overcome it. And so like, yeah, Kawhi is not at his best. And I'm, the funny thing is I'm not sure they could have beat the Philadelphia 76ers without Kawhi at his very best. But this is a different animal. And if Clay Thompson's back tonight? That's been pretty much accepted and we'll see. How limited is if at all, with his strained left hamstring? But the consensus around the series is it's getting awfully late for Kevin Durant to play. They were hoping he would scrimmage today, but there was no guarantee of that. And he might not scrimmage with anybody. We're not talking even with with the starters on this team. With anybody getting out and running, it might not happen today. It could happen tomorrow or even the next day. I, If Kevin Durant comes back in the series, he will be limited and out of shape. And there is a real sense, and the Raptors have felt this since the beginning. That Kevin Durant's not coming back, but that's the Golden State Warriors that they're going to have to beat, and there will be no asterisk if they do. Uh,
0: Bruce, when you look at the Raptors, I mean, there's just so many storylines that are intriguing. how the roster was built, who's on the roster, uh, the success, the constant evolution of the roster. What's your favorite part of? The, what's your favorite storyline for the Raptors?
3: <sighs> that's a really good question because there's a lot. Like you could yeah. say Kyle Lowry. Because Kyle, Kyle is a guy who was a late first-round pick, who lost starting jobs in Memphis and Houston, who was, when he got here, it was his third team, and he, he was basically a guy who not only was ready to bomb out of the league, but was a guy who didn't trust his teammates, didn't trust management. Everything was a chip on the shoulder, giant one. And that chip will never go away. And Kyle now has become a man and become a, a star and is on the verge after all his disappointments of maybe doing something that no Raptor has ever done. He, he has a chance to be the greatest Raptor all all in all, all like beginning to end of career um, that we've ever seen. And that might not even be my favorite story on this team. <laughs> right? Like, Because you could look around. Pascal Siakam's been playing basketball for seven years. And as a second-leading scorer, having a Scottie Pippen series, in the NBA Finals, in his first full year as a starter. Marc Gasol was an overweight kid whose whose older brother was a great international player, and Marc Gasol turned himself into a great player as a second-round pick. That might not be my favorite story, right? Like, you can go up and down. Like, Fred VanVleet might be it. Like, because Fred is a guy, if you look at him, and when the Raptors first looked at him, he didn't have the foot speed. He's not super long. He's not going to jump over you. He's not super quick. And he believes in himself in a way that almost no other player does and has carried him to this, himself to this place through sheer intelligence, confidence, will, and presence, along with skill. And at this point in the finals is one of the most important rafters because he's as close as the league has to a Steph Curry stopper. That's incredible. This is a guy who, again, is not a starter in this league and might not become one. There's an outside chance of that. And he has turned this series. And it's hit shots in this series in the last one that propelled the Raptors to where they are. And beyond all that, Zayu Jiri is an unbelievable story that we don't we kind of take for granted. He's the first ever president or general manager in the league from Africa, and it took a long, a lot for him to get from there to here. This is an awesome, interesting team without a player drafted higher than fifteen. And if they win, it's a lot of unlikely journeys culminating in the same place.
0: Well said, Bruce. Thanks very much. Appreciate it.
3: Jim, it's my pleasure,
0: man. Thank you. Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star. At Bruce underscore Arthur is the Twitter account. Up next, Blake Murphy. I hope I have some time before we say goodbye and make way for Leafs lunch to talk about that money equation because it's something that gets bent out of shape, but there is uh, some sense to it, even though there's probably more zeros than than anybody would care to discuss. Coming up next, we'll have Blake Murphy from The Athletic. This is Raptors Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Carl Baldwin, Michael Douglas, on tonight's episode, winning Game Four. Let's bring in Blake Murphy now from the Athletic. Blake, welcome. How are you today, sir? There you are. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. How how are you? I'm
2: doing well. How are you,
0: Jim? <laughs> good, good thanks. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, when you look at, at this matchup, uh, you're, you're trying to figure out the Clay Thompson effect, but, but I want to go back over what the Raptors have done over three games. Really, if you toss out a six minute run to start the second half in game two and, and a bit of, uh, stuck in the mud in the, in the, uh, uh, second quarter of, of game three, a four minute run there. I mean, it's been impressive, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, for sure. And there's, you know, there are some process elements they need to clean up. But the the level of shot making, especially in big situations, uh, particularly, you know, when the Warriors are threatening to go on one of their big runs that that they tend to go on, uh, you know, the Raptors have answered for the most part. I think they've won 10 of 12 quarters in the in the series, which you know you can't. The the games matter more than the quarters, but I think it shows that they're they're pretty consistently matching or or, uh, beating the Warriors by, by a little edge, and it's really only that. That third quarter from Game Two that stands out as a, as a stretch. The Raptors have played poorly for any sustained period. So um, about as good a start as they could hope for. Obviously, they they would have liked to take Game Two as well, but but being up two one and having played th- this well so far is kind of a you know it's nearing the best case.
0: I, I guess I have to ask this question. I mean, when you look at the the wins in Game One and Game Three, you're shooting that, or they are shooting that, at better than fifty percent. How realistic a, a, a demand is that?
2: Yeah, it's probably not. Realistic, you know, based on the the diet of shots they've gotten, they have done a really good job creating um, open threes. Uh, They've taken 20 open threes per game in the series. That's a good number. Um, You can expect your three-point percentage to be, you know, to be pushing 40% if you're creating that many good looks. Uh, Inside the arc, though, they haven't really gotten to the rim a ton. Uh, They've kind of subsisted on some mid-range shots. And then the biggest concern for me, and I wrote about it at The Athletic this morning, is that uh, they're taking a lot of shots late in the shot clock, and they are a good late shot clock team. Um, They they hand the ball to Kawhi Leonard and kind of grind out a possession and trust that they can get something late, Um, but they're shooting a a very unsustainable percentage late in the shot clock. So uh, if there's anywhere to watch uh, for some regression, I think it would be be there as the clock's winding down.
0: So you're talking about getting inside with more shots and and getting them off faster. Uh, What's preventing them from doing that in your mind?
2: Yeah, the biggest thing is their transition game, which is uh, you know, that kind of defined their offense all year long. That that hasn't quite been there yet. It's uh you know, they were the number one team in the NBA in terms of uh points per transition possession and the volume of transition scoring they had. Uh that's come down to earth and they've been pretty average in that regard in the playoffs. Now the Warriors are a good transition defense, um, but the Raptors, you know, they haven't run quite like themselves. You haven't seen as many of those jockham leakouts or, or turnovers leading to baskets the other way so um, that's probably why you know your best chance to get to the rim is in transition when the other team doesn't have a set defense there and um, that's the, the one area the Raptors offense hasn't hasn't quite been on point yet.
0: Uh, the noticeable drop-off for the Warriors would have been the role that Cousins had I mean he was big in game two uh, just sort of working his way back in in game one and, and he was I mean he was limited to 19 minutes how did they go about doing that?
2: Yeah, part of it was, I mean, part of it is that Cousins is maybe not 100% yet. I know, I know he played 28 minutes in game two, um, but they, Steve Kerr mentioned after the game that, that Cousins had to go to the back to get something looked at, uh, late in game three, and I, I don't know that his conditioning is all the way there. But the Raptors also got an aggressive Marcus Saul in game three, and I think we've seen all playoffs how much an aggressive Marcus Saul Uh, tilts things for their offense and how good a sign it is for their offense Uh, they ran a couple post-ups for him early on Um, Gasol was cutting off the ball and then you had Kawhi Leonard working in pick and roll to try to get those pull-up jumpers against him so I think they just looked early on and whether it was to try to get him in foul trouble or whether it was to try to fatigue him early um, it's two games in a row now that the Raptors have kind of picked on Cousins to start games and I would expect that to continue.
0: I mean, that that's sort of, I look at that cousin situation, and, and I don't know if KD ever gets in, but, but certainly we're going to see that with Klay Thompson tonight. I mean, it's sort of a blueprint for what could happen to a returning injured ball player. There might be an immediate return, but long-term, the injury does sort of reappear, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, depending on the injury type. You know, I think I think that was a concern with Klay Thompson, which is why he didn't play in Game 3. You know, it being a soft-tissue thing, uh, you try to push through it, and then there's a chance you make it worse. So I think that's why... You know Thompson's side game three, and that's why they've been so cautious with Durant. Um, you know, I, I think I think at this point in the series, it, there's there are a few enough games left that that it's reaching the point of if you can go, you go, and, and you don't. You know, the Warriors earlier in the series talked about how it's going to be a long series, and they don't want to lose someone for later on. Uh, You know, if you get down three one here, there there might not be much for later on. So I think that's why. You, you can probably expect Thompson to play tonight and Cousins to keep fighting through it and, and Igu- Iguodala and guys like that to fight through the, the smaller things that they're dealing with, too.
0: I mean, for the most part, the Warriors have been chasing the Raptors in this series. What do you think happens? What do you think the Warriors' counter is tonight?
2: Yeah, I think I think getting Clay Thompson back is a huge boost. I think you saw in Game 2 that not only did they not have the shooting around Steph Curry to, to really punish the Raptors for loading up on Curry, uh, but defensively, they didn't have a lot of options to throw at the different Raptors looks out there. Um, you, you know, Clay Thompson in game two saw a lot of time on Kawhi Leonard and was moderately effective as much as anyone can be in that matchup. So he gives them another option there. And, and then
3: the,
2: the Warriors basically played Steph Curry the entire second half in game three in part because without Thompson, they don't have their normal bench units. We've talked for years about the Lowry and bench units here in Toronto. Um, well, the Warriors tend to go with a Clay Thompson and bench unit at the start of the second and fourth, and those are minutes the Raptors won pretty dramatically because in the first half Curry was off the floor, and then in the second half playing, you know, the entire half. So, so Thompson will help with offense, defense, with rotation staggering. Get it, getting a borderline All NBA player back like that is going to help in a lot of a lot of kind of smaller ways.
0: Blake, you've been all over this team for a number of years, but more specifically this year, and, and it, it's got a different look now with the addition of Gasol, and certainly Green and Leonard were added in the offseason, But but is there anything that that you saw along the way during the regular season that could indicate that where they are now could happen? Whether that's Nick Nurse and what he's done with the coaching staff, or in terms of the players they assembled.
2: Yeah, I mean I I picked them to get here. I was uh, I didn't I didn't think it was you know a fifty. 50- 50 proposition or anything but I thought that they were entering the year that they were probably the best team in the east and obviously Milwaukee looked like that team for, for a long stretch of it so um but no I think they have a good mix of you know experience for one Nick Nurse uh, spending the regular season kind of experimenting a little bit whether he wanted to or not based around the the injuries and things like that um I that that gave me some confidence that they'd be fairly match up versatile in the playoffs and then you look, and the biggest thing that was encouraging for me is that the playoffs so often come down to, obviously, what you do well and your strengths and having star players, but also the opponent's ability to exploit your weaknesses. And if you look at the Raptors, well, they don't have any players in their rotation who are minus defenders. And they have, you know, Pascal
0: Did we lose him? I think we did. Blake Murphy from The Athletic uh, reporting to us from San Francisco where things are just getting underway there in anticipation of game four you can watch it on tsn one three four and five and you can catch the commercial free halftime post game show right here on tsn 1050 yours truly and matt cause and we'll have the post game um, as well so in, in the final moments I, I didn't know that i was going to have time to do this and, and we'll get into the money situation uh later on i i Arad, come on for a second I, I just want to find out you sent me this email that was forwarded from our buddy phil about the hawaii fun guy shirts what's that all about so they went on sale, I think it was today, and as you can see, there's a massive lineup for people lining up yeah, wh- so they can get that? the Kawhi shirt. Where is that? It looks like it's on, uh, it looks like Richmond Street. Yeah, it has that kind of Somewhere downtown. Yeah. So if you see a bunch of people lined up, they're, they're going for the fun guy shirts. I should have registered fun guy. You should have registered yeah. fungi. Yes, yes, guy. No guy. Fungi. Yeah. Whatever guy. Uh, Blake Murphy is back with us. Uh, sorry for the technical issues there, Blake. Uh, uh, okay, help me out with this in the final moments. The Raptors complete the sentence. The Raptors will win if part of me. The, the, the Raptors, Raptors will win, will win if.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you know. I think if Kevin Durant doesn't come back for one, uh, I think that that tilts things in Toronto's favor, and then you know, I think they they have some things to tidy up on offense and defense heading into this one but they've put themselves in a in a really good spot here. So, uh if Kevin Durant doesn't come back and if he does, then uh you know, if they handle that well because Durant kind of, you know, assuming the series goes to 2-2 tonight, which I think the the Vegas odds favorite to uh you know Durant's potential return is a big thing. We've seen the Raptors can beat this Warriors team. We've seen they can beat them uh, in Toronto and in Oakland. But uh the Durant thing kind of hangs as a specter too. By the way, I heard you guys talking about the new balance thing. Apparently the new balance website crashed as well due to the demand for those t-shirts.
0: Really? Well, they're hot. Yeah. I mean, you've got people at the Canadian RBC Canadian Open wearing Kawhi Leonard jerseys. I mean, this is <laughs> this is a breaking story, right?
2: Yeah, it's great. It's uh you know, I think it, uh, I think it shows that, you know, the Canadian market and the Toronto market will respond to a player like this and a run like this. And maybe some of the concern about, you know, you can't get a big shoe deal in Toronto, maybe that'll be, uh, be settled down now given how, uh, given how this has all played out and the, the kind of rabid, uh, the rabidness that, that fans are going after the Kawhi Leonard gear.
0: Blake, thanks very much. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Our pleasure. Blake Murphy from The Athletic. And so, you know, really, covering the Raptors over the years, I always thought that uh, that this would be a problem, that Kawhi Leonard or his type of player would never show up here just because they weren't going to be bad enough to draft him. And I I just didn't know. I I wasn't confident that that they could acquire or uh, sign that particular player. Uh, But he's here, and, and you see the difference. I mean, we've gone over this so many times. In the heat of the moment when something has to be done uh, and you've seen you know you've heard him speak you've seen his his play and how in the moment he is and how that has affected other people like kyle lowry and and the rest i mean you can't be around somebody like that who's that focused and has that gift of talent and not have it affect you positively and and certainly it has been fun to watch and and we look forward to it and and again you know we saw him limp to the podium after the last game so this guy is battling through but that's what the greats do they find a way to come up with a solution there's a life lesson in all of that uh, so we will have the uh, commercial free halftime show tonight live here on TSN 1050 in the post-game. again you can watch it all on TSN 1, 3, 4, and 5 coming up with uh, extensive Raptors coverage with game day with Matt Cause and uh, also we will have Leafs lunch at the top of the hour Andy Petrillo and the Overdrive boys will will dive into the proceedings uh, Arad, uh, just on the way out, what do you think is going to happen tonight? I think Clay Thompson will be rusty. I think in a very, very, very close game, the Raptors will win 111 to 109. Oh, yeah, you're sticking with the 109. I'm sticking with the 109. Yeah, you I, can't break the curse now. No, I, I kind of like that. I, yeah, I, I think Clay Thompson will play, and he'll have a, an immediate impact, and then. Uh, his contribution will recede throughout the course of the night. I mean, I don't know the degree of the hamstring injury, but uh, that can't be nice. We had Chris Bosh on the other day talking about how difficult that is and how it might have immediate returns, but then uh, it would go south on him. So, so we'll see. And, and Bosh said he had that injury before himself, so he's going to speak to that. So again, commercial-free halftime coverage tonight on TSN 1050 and the post-game show as well. Thanks for joining us on Raptors Shootaround. TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. Also available in the TSN and I Radio apps.